Hey, my friends, welcome back to Wittenberg, Germany. This is the Black Monastery. It's one of the buildings of the University of Wittenberg back 500 years ago when Martin Luther was a professor at this great place. He loved to prepare for his lectures in that very tower. There was a room in the tower, great view, and there was a spot that Luther opened the Word of God and started to study and prepare for his lectures. One of the series or classes that he taught back then was on the book of Romans. Romans really deals with theology of salvation, and he was shocked at what he read about the way God brings salvation to humanity. One of the verses in Romans that really got to him was Romans 3, 23 and 24, which says, uh, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but we can be freely justified by grace. Grace was this concept that Luther just couldn't believe. I mean, he was, he was stunned by grace. In fact, he calls it his tower encounter as he encountered the grace of God up in that place. You see, grace went counter to what Luther's background was all about. Luther had studied to be a lawyer. You know, lawyers are all about what you deserve. Let's figure out what you deserve. And grace is about what you don't deserve. Grace, Luther said, is what God freely gives to the unworthy, the unmerited. It's unmerited favor or blessing from God. Isn't that incredible? That God in his radical generosity offers the gift of his love, of salvation. It all comes by grace. Grace transformed Martin Luther's life. Grace can transform our lives. One of Luther's cries was sola gratia, only by grace. I am so glad all of you are here. I'm thinking of all of you at Bolingbrook, all of you at 95th Street Campus, Hobson people. We're going to have some fun as we continue our understanding of these theological battle cries that really fueled this great revival of 500 years ago known as the Protestant Reformation. This uh, last week, actually a week and a half ago, was my eldest daughter's birthday. Jora turned 19 years old. And we took her out to dinner and had great food, but terrible service. Oh my, this gal who was a server was just uh, having a bad day, let's just assume. She was grumpy and she just had an attitude in how she talked. When the food came, she kind of slammed it down, you know, in front of each of us. And one of the times she put a dish down, it like caught a fork. This fork had food on it, flipped it in the air. Where do you think it landed? Yeah, in my lap. And I'm like, you're kidding me. The, the, the server went away. The next time she came back, she dumped, accidentally dumped a whole glass of ice water. Where? That's right, in my lap. <laughs> Can you? I mean, I was drenched every bit of this. Oh, my. Well, the time came to pay, and I'm looking at this credit card receipt with this interesting little space that says tip. And uh, I had a dilemma. Normally, I, you know, calculate a generous tip. I have a marker that I use, and I just 
But this time I paused. <laughs> and I thought to myself, she doesn't deserve a dime. You know, I'm not obligated to give her anything. And she, was a, she did a terrible job. I'm shivering still. Um, and then the Holy Spirit showed up un, uninvited. And uh, he just started, <laughs> he said to me, Jeff, grace. You know, the essence of grace, again, is lavishing goodness on those who don't deserve it. And I just said, no, I don't want to give grace in this moment. It just seems wrong. And, and God just brought this thought to mind. Jeff, you don't want to be outrageously good to someone who doesn't deserve it. And God says, Jeff, that's what I do for you every day of your life. I lavish goodness on you, and you're unworthy of it. So rather reluctantly, I wrote what I would consider a generous tip, considering the circumstances. Probably not as generous as Jesus would have done, but uh, we'll call it a victory. Grace is an amazing concept that we must understand, particularly this week. I, I love how things have lined up with us studying sola gratia, Grace alone, on the week of Thanksgiving. Uh, the concepts are intrinsically bound together. Let me show you something interesting. The word Thanksgiving in our New Testament comes from the Greek word eucharistia. And if you look in the middle of eucharistia, you see charis. And the word charis means grace. And so sure enough, right in the middle of Thanksgiving, is grace. And I have learned, I love this reminder because I have learned that to truly do thanksgiving, you must understand grace. The experience of grace, understand it, delight in it, that is what will yield a heart that is truly thankful. In fact, I would remind you, it's the heart that we're going after this thanksgiving for you to look to God in prayer and say, oh yeah, uh, thank you. That, saying thank you to God in prayer is not thankfulness. Do you realize that? You know, a kid gets socks for Christmas. They may be dutiful and say, thank you. But are they thankful? No. True thanksgiving is not an action. It's a feeling. And for you to feel passionate thankfulness to the Lord, this thanksgiving, you must know grace. So let's study grace together. I love this verse we're going to be looking at. It is a verse written by the Apostle Paul. It's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. If you're newer to the Bible and you'd like to read along, you'll find this passage on page 1154, 1154. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth about grace. And here's what he says. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Do you notice the theme of grace? I mean, look at three times. Grace, grace, grace. Three times in one verse. The Apostle Paul talks about grace. And each of these three mentions of grace are actually pointing to three different benefits that grace brings into our lives. And so to better understand the power of grace, we are going to take a look at each of these three benefits. The first reference to grace here is this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. 
Paul says, my very identity is founded in grace. Let's put the word identity here because the first blessing Paul and we receive from God uh, through grace is our Christian identity. I wanted to come up with a prop for each of these three points. You know, when you have three points, you can get confused and forget. And so I thought props would be a good way to clarify and remind. And so I was thinking on Thanksgiving week, a good prop would be food. So I've got three items of food to remind you of these three points. And this will just get your hunger getting ready for Thanksgiving. You ready to feel hungry? First prop here is pickled herring. Yes, pickled herring. I am Norwegian, and we Norwegians love this stuff. To us, pickled herring is like candy. We just can't stop. No, I hate this stuff. I'm lying. In fact, I'm embarrassed to be Norwegian when I think about pickled herring. Uh, my, my nationality has no good food. None. I mean, think, everybody's got a restaurant but the Norwegians, you know. The Italians, they have restaurants. Chinese, they have restaurants. Mexicans, they got their restaurants. Even the Swedes have got the cafeteria at Ikea. And I have got nothing. But... So, pickled herring reminds me of my identity. My identity as a Norwegian is linked to that country. It's interesting, Norway remains a kingdom, But my affiliation with that kingdom has largely been overshadowed by another kingdom I have been ushered into by grace, and that is the kingdom of God. You see, I, at a certain point in my life, cried out to Jesus Christ in faith, begging for him to forgive me of my sin by what he had done on the cross to die in my place. And in that moment, I received something I didn't deserve, and that's a new identity. In a moment, it was as if God took away my driver's license and gave me a new one, said, here's the new Jeff Griffin. He is forgiven of all of his sin. He is adopted into God's family. Call him dad. He calls you son. The family is of royal origin. God is the king of the universe. And as his son, I am royalty. I'm suddenly a prince. That's who I am. That's who you're looking at. And you too, if you are a Christian, You are a prince or a princess in this eternal supreme kingdom. Do you deserve it? No! It's grace. Grace. You know, Martin Luther uh, really experienced a profound transformation in identity. His self-esteem was horrible prior to him becoming a Christian. Even though he was a priest, he saw himself as such a despicable, despicable creature. Oh, you know, before I tell you about Martin Luther, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about Paul, then we'll go to Luther. Would you allow me? Uh, See this verse? These are verses 8 and 9. We just read 10. Let's go back and read the context. Remember Paul said, I am who I am? Uh, Well, who are you, Paul? The context brings a little clarity. Paul says in verse 8, Last of all, he, that's Jesus, appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul, who are you? Well, the verse tells us two things. 
For one, Paul is one abnormally born. Scholars debate as to what the original language actually means. It seems to mean one born with severe birth defect. But he's not speaking literally or physically. He's speaking spiritually. Spiritually, he's saying, I'm a monster. I am terrifyingly ugly, spiritually speaking. And and you say, Paul, why? Why do you view yourself as such a horrific sinner? Here, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul, prior to being a Christian, was not only neutral, or wasn't neutral towards Christ, he was against Christ. He fought passionately to stop Jesus, to destroy the Jesus movement. Paul was part of the team that executed, that murdered the first Christian martyr. Paul looked at his life devoted to crushing Jesus, and he was just appalled. He goes, I'm a monster! But he also says, oh, and I'm also, whoop, back, can we go back to the previous scripture? Thanks. I'm also an apostle. He says, I'm the least of the apostles, but I'm an apostle. And what's an apostle? Folks, that's the highest title you could get in the early church. The apostles were a select group of people who had been chosen by Jesus himself to represent him as a witness to his resurrection, in many cases to write scripture, to lead at the highest level. They were the rock stars of the early church. And so Paul, make up your mind. Are you a moral monster or are you a rock star? And Paul would say, yes. And you say, how can you possibly be both? I'll tell you how. By the grace of God. Next slide. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul says, God has this uncanny, scandalous propensity to take the worst of sinners and invite them into his family to be forgiven of all their transgression and invited into status of the highest order, beloved sons and daughters of the king. Scandalous. Martin Luther experienced the same dynamic. Martin Luther, prior to his conversion, was racked with an uncanny awareness of his own sin. In fact, I think Luther had a gift of seeing his own evil. Most of us aren't very good at this. We gloss over our sin. We don't even realize how evil some of our inclinations are. But Luther saw it. He's like, the words I say, the things I do, the thoughts I think. Luther said, oh, Lord, it's so ugly. That's why he spent, I mentioned this in earlier weeks, six hours in confession at a time. That all changed in a moment when Luther found grace. Uh, I mentioned in the video that it was in this building in Wittenberg called the Black Monastery. People were so into Luther's conversion moment that they said, where in the building was it? And he's like, well, it was in the tower of the Black Monastery. They weren't content with that. Where in the Black Tower was it? I, I just, I learned this detail going through the museum of the Black Monastery. Luther finally said, okay, you want to know? It was on the toilet. Can you believe that? I know I shouldn't have said that in church, but it's historical fact, and I thought you should know. Luther said, yes, I was meditating on Romans, and I was radically saved on the John, if you must know. 
And sure enough, in the museum, here's a picture. They've got the actual toilet that Martin Luther came to Christ on. Isn't that awesome? The realness of, of this story. My, my buddy Andy, he and I were going through the museum and we came to this gift shop, which was kind of sleepy, not much business. And Andy said, you know what they should do? They should get some pine planks and cut holes in them and sell them as replicas and call them, buy your Reformation starter right here, you know, that's good. But in that sacred moment, in his prayer closet, Luther was radically saved and in an instant, his identity changed. He, he still saw his sin. It wasn't like all of a sudden his sin was gone. No, I'm still a wicked sinner. But I have been radically saved. And in an instant, I have been given an identity, a righteous standing that I didn't earn. It's a pure gift. I have been given the righteousness of Jesus, adopted as a son. And Luther held his head up and lived the rest of his life with a robust self-esteem, enjoying the identity that was given to him by grace. All right. Let's go to the next slide. The first gift is identity. Next one, let's look at this phrase. He says, His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. By all of them, the Apostle Paul is referring to all the other disciples. He's saying, The grace of God had an effect on me, causing me to work harder than everybody else. Now, that's surprising because we would think that grace would lead to lazy Christians. Wouldn't you think that? Christians laying on the couch, hey, I get it all as an undeserved gift, so I'm going to do nothing for God. In the case of Paul, it's not the effect it had. Paul said, his grace inspired me to devote my life to passionate service to the Lord. In fact, higher than anybody else. This is motivation. Motivation. Grace was Paul's new motivation. He was so grateful for the identity that he had in Christ that he lived in response to the grace he had received. I was thinking about what food item would be a good reminder of a new motivation. Came across a a jar of pickled carrots. And uh, carrots are a symbol of motivation. You've seen the dangling carrot in front of the horse pulling the cart. It's got a stick with a string. And that carrot is a symbol of what motivates. Well, in the case of the Christian who gets it, there's an unexpected motivation. He's not trying to get anything so much as he is so grateful to give. The Apostle Paul phrased it this way. He said, he, 2 Corinthians 5.15. He died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but they should live for him who died for them. That was Paul's whole passion. I live in response to grace. I live for him who died for me. Can you relate? That motivation, it's like rocket fuel. It is more powerful to compel a life of Christian passion than anything else. Here, I'll give you an example. John. John worked in the banking district of London. I actually have a picture of the street. This is Lombard Street in London. Some of you may know. It's kind of like their equivalent of our Wall Street in New York City. It's where all the banks are. 
And every day, John walked to work on Lombard Street, and he worked hard, put in long days, uh, sweat and tears, pouring his life into his job, year after year after year after year, until he hit 65. And you ask, did he retire? Good guess, but no. He continued to work after 65, every day down Lombard Street, walking to work. Did he retire at 70? No, he kept working past 70. Did he retire at 75? No. 80? No. He dropped dead at 82 and never enjoyed a single day of retirement. Why did John work so hard? It's a good question. Uh, Maybe you speculate. I bet he just loved his job. Well, he may have, he may not have, I don't know, but I know that that's not the reason he worked till the very end. You say, well, maybe he didn't prepare for retirement, so financially he couldn't retire. Good guess, but no. Then why? Here, I'll give you a little more information and maybe you'll start to see it. Uh, You should know that when he walked down Lombard Street to go to work every day, it was this building right here that he he worked at. This building is 300 years old. John got his job at this building in 1780. So I tricked you a little bit there. You were thinking a contemporary guy. No. He lived back and got his job here at 1780. This building is a church. It's called the it's called the Woolnoth Church in London on Lombard Street. And yes, John was a pastor. He was in a banking district, but a church in the banking district even back then. And his full name is John Newton, and he happened to have written the most popular song in all the world, and that is Amazing Grace. And now you may know a little bit of John Newton's history. Prior to being a pastor, he was a slave trader. He got rich in the most despicable career path imaginable. He hunted human beings in Africa as if they were animals. He captured them He bound them, he piled them into a ship, shipped them like cargo to the Americas where he sold them as a product and got rich. John Newton eventually became a Christian, and as he was able to see the evil of his life, he was sick to his stomach that he had devoted himself to this insidious sin. He threw himself at the feet of Jesus and begged for grace, for forgiveness. And in a moment, he was forgiven of all of his sin. God brought him to his feet and gave him a new identity and said, you are no longer a wicked sinner. You are a saint. The righteousness of Jesus is now your identity. John Newton, welcome to my family. That's why he wrote Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was so lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. So now, why did he work till he was 82? Grace. He had been so overwhelmed by God's grace Next slide. It was a new motivation in his life. He said, Lord, you died for me. You saved my soul. I will give every hour, every day, every drip of who I am 
to you forever because I'm grateful. The power of the motivation that grace can bring is stunning. There's one more. Next phrase. Paul says, uh, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. I'm imagining here, but I think you may agree with me. I think Paul, he was bragging. He's saying, I worked harder than all the other apostles. And he's like, ooh, did that sound arrogant. Uh, but really, it wasn't me at all. It was God's grace within me. Uh, he's right. He's clarifying that if there's anything heroic about his hard work, you should know that it really wasn't him at all, but God graciously, by the Holy Spirit, empowering him to live the life that he lived. Paul wasn't that strong. The third benefit of grace is strength. Paul said, I enjoy a strength of God that I don't deserve, enabling me every day to face what I face. If you've ever been impressed with a Christian, if you've ever seen a Christian and wanted to ask them, man, I saw the hardship you went through, or I've seen what you've accomplished. How do you do it? The correct answer, by the grace of God. Friends, I I was thinking about this strength, how God graciously gives us a strength we don't deserve. And I thought, what food item could I use? And I thought, aha, a can of spinach. (laughs) The young people are like, I don't get it. Well, kids, when we were young, Popeye was a famous superhero, and Popeye was a weakling. Naturally, he lacked the strength to face his foe, who was a big brute of a guy. But he could find a strength that was not his own by eating spinach, and then he'd get strong and win the day. And as silly as the cartoon was, I think it illustrates a profound spiritual reality that we all live in. We are weaklings, overwhelmed by our adversity. We, we can't face the hardship we endure. We can't live up to the challenges God calls us to. But the Holy Spirit of God, like spinach, is given to us as a gift. We don't deserve it, but he gives us the strength that brings the victory. And I look at my own life. You don't know me. I know me. I know who Jeff Griffin is naturally. And I am a scared, weak, insecure, pathetic human being. That's the truth. Well, then how do you explain, you know, the wild life I've lived where I've been on a roller coaster of adventure of God using me in unexpected and unimaginable ways? How do you explain that? Oh, very easily. By the grace of God. The Lord has always loved finding the most pathetic of creatures and infusing his spirit into them that gives them a strength that they didn't know. And he enables them to endure hardship and accomplish kingdom advancement in ways that would never be possible but for the grace of God. Look at that. Paul, Paul's like, Paul's saying, you know, I'm kind of a grace junkie, Paul would say. I mean, for me, grace has totally transformed my life. My whole identity, I am what I am because of grace. My, my whole motivation for living is, is responding to grace. Uh, it inspires me. 
uh, my whole strength in daily pursuits of God's calling. It's all grace. Grace changes everything. Can you say that? Are you a grace junkie? Do you realize your whole life is grace? If you do, as you approach Thanksgiving, you won't just say, oh yeah, uh, thank you, God. No, you will feel it. I am an unworthy sinner who has been so radically blessed by grace. I wanted to close with a a final story. Uh, My wife and I, back on our 20-year wedding anniversary, had the opportunity to go to Rome. And while in Rome, we stumbled into this church called St. John of Laterno. And there was a a staircase with all these people kneeling on it. And my wife was like, what's up with that? Well, I knew what was up with that. I had read Martin Luther's biography. And I explained to Jen, and I'll explain to you, uh, the staircase at this location dates back 1,700 years. Uh, it, it was brought here uh, by Helena, the mother of Constantine, back in the 300s. Uh, she went to Jerusalem. That's where this marble stairs came from. She found what was the palace of Pilate, and she had the marble steps of Pilate's home disassembled, packed up, sent to Rome, and put back together in this church. Now, you can see the marble in the slats. They are now covered with wood to preserve them because so many people have crawled over them. They're wearing them down. Well, uh, I don't know if Jesus walked on these steps as is claimed. They say that Jesus, on the night he was crucified, he went to Pilate, and so he walked up the steps. Maybe, maybe not. I do know Martin Luther crawled up these steps. In the day when Martin Luther was not yet a Christian, he was a priest, but not yet a Christian, true believer, he, uh, he came to Rome trying to earn his way to heaven. It was believed back then that if you crawled up these stairs and kissed every one of them and said a prayer on every one of them, that that would be a merit that would help earn a place in heaven. Now, Martin Luther was caught up, and this is what you got to do. But he had also at that point been reading scripture about you can't earn God's favor. It's a gift freely given to those who place faith in Christ. And so as he's crawling up and kissing each step and saying a prayer, he's remembering scripture, and this thought comes to mind. This thought. This is folly, Luther said. Ridiculous. This isn't biblical. Now, he was not converted in this moment, but it was a critical step bringing him to his near conversion, which was actually in that tower at the Black Monastery. My wife and I stood at the base of these stairs, and they they were packed with pilgrims saying prayers, kissing steps. I don't know today what's in the minds of the people who are doing this, but I suspect some like what they were doing back in Luther's day, believe that somehow this ritual will earn God's love. Look, God, at what I'm doing. Please accept me. Please, God, is this enough? Is this enough? And I was just sad. I wanted to shout, people, it's by grace. You don't have to earn it. And I didn't, but I did do this. I hummed. I hummed loudly. I hummed 
amazing grace. And I thought my wife was going to elbow me and stop me from doing that, but she put her arm around me and started humming with me. And we hummed. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Grace. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's scandalous. It's shocking. It's the way of our God. And it is the foundation of our lives if we're Christians. Would you pray with me? God, (laughs) we don't get it fully why you would be inclined to dump truckloads of blessing on the lives of unworthy sinners. But we love it and we give you thanks. This Thanksgiving, we don't just say it, we feel it. Oh, God. But for the grace of God, there go I. Lord, your grace has changed everything for us. Our whole lives are founded on grace. And we say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And with John Newton, we say it is amazing. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.